Hi, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host tonight, Matt Filipovitz, joined by my phenomenal co-host, Mr. Nick Polak. Nick, hello, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, Matt. How are you? I'm good. I'm recording in a different spot than I normally do in my apartment because I feel like I've been cooped up in my little office for way too long. So I'm I'm mixing it up a little bit. So now I'm looking at uh, like my board game shelf behind me, and it's there's not that many great games on this shelf. I'm pretty disappointed. Oh, that's very disappointing. Yeah, having yeah. a good stable of board games is a very necessary part of life. Catan's the big one for me. That's definitely my go-to. Mm-hmm. But I also like Smartish a lot. Not a sponsor, but they could be. But Nick, we will not spend too much time talking about the board games I have in my apartment because I got distracted five seconds into the podcast. Or or the uh, ones that could be sponsors. That's true. They also could be sponsors. Uh, real quick, Nick, right off the bat, we like to apologize. We did not have an episode last week. It was just a crazy busy week for all of us. I drove from Illinois back to PA. I know Matt traveled. I know Bill traveled. Nick, you went to Hawaii, correct? I, I did indeed. So apologies, we did not have a Michigan State preview, but we are here today to recap the Penn State season finale, a 42 to nothing just beat down of the Michigan State Spartans to put their chaotic season to bed. Penn State finished the year 10 and 2. I believe that the final record is going to be, what is it, Nick? Six and two in the Big Ten or seven and two in the Big Ten. They play nine conference games with only losses to mm-hmm. Ohio State and Michigan. Nick, the Michigan State game was maybe the most fun I've had watching Penn State football since like maybe the Iowa game. Yeah, I was gonna, the Iowa game is the other one. Just because, and not even because like they played exceptionally well against Iowa. It's just the way that they just suffocated them and stepped on their throats it was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, no, by far, like, it, and even I would even say this was more fun than Iowa. Like, it, it was fun in that Iowa was the white house, really so fun. there's that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, but in terms of like. Like, this was the only game all season where we really saw Penn State kind of flex its muscles offensively in ways that we were expecting to see coming into the season. So, in that regard, I, I think I would probably put this on the top. Yeah, credit to J1 Sider and to Ty Howell for calling, I think, a really phenomenal game. They finished the year 2-0 and as the co-offensive coordinators with wins over Rutgers and Michigan State. Everybody, Nick, it felt like eight this past weekend. Aller, 17 for 26, 292 yards and two touchdowns. Kribula, two for two, one touchdown through the air, added a second one on the ground. Both Singleton and Catron Allen went over 100 yards for the first time this year. Singleton found the end zone um, on a pretty nice run, which looked like he exercised some demons on. Catron, 9.1 yards per carry. Singleton, 6.6. Not great, but he did have two. Not great. That's still really freaking good. Uh, Singleton also added in two catches uh, for 68 yards. He actually led the team in receiving yards. And also shout out to Amari Evans, who had a 60-yard bomb that I cannot believe he didn't score on. Nick, what was more impressive to you? The running backs being able to finally fire on all cylinders or Drew Aller in this offense airing it out and really making Michigan State pay for not giving them the respect that, frankly, they didn't deserve yet, but this is the kind of game they can build upon and make other teams think they have to uh, respect it more. Yeah, I I don't know if I can really choose one over the other. It's just like, this is, like, what have we been saying all year? Like, if we if the passing game can just have any sort of consistency with throwing the ball over the middle of the field but really just any sort of consistency at all then the run game was going to open up and that's what happened like we finally saw both aspects of the offense clicking and when you have the playmakers that Penn State has it doesn't take a whole lot for the offense to become really explosive really quickly when you can just strike some sort of balance in that regard. And, you know, I, we saw that, like, I think both of both parts of the offense were super, super fun. It was awesome to see Aller, you know, 
look comfortable and confident yeah. in the pocket throwing the ball. It was great finally seeing him connect on a deep ball. Like I know we saw him hit the deep ball to Keandre Lambert Smith against Indiana. And we saw a couple others that, you know, were really close, but that was by far the best looking deep ball he's had all year. Oh yeah. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it was to Amari Evans, the guy that he threw a great deep ball to last year, because he's one of the few guys on the roster that truly has that, you know, just put the ball in the air and I'll run down underneath it kind of speed. Like he and Aller are a really good pairing. And, you know, hopefully Evans has a great, great off season and he's prepped to do something big next year. But, um, you know, also you got, you got to love what you saw from the running backs too. I mean, Katron's been, Katron's been great all season long. It's Singleton. Who's been the one who's been more up and down. And I know there were some people ridiculing that Frank ridiculing that Franklin quote saying that Singleton's become a better runner overall this year, um, despite the statistical downturn. And I know a lot of people are laughing at that, but I don't know that it's untrue. Like we saw Singleton take a lot of strides in terms of, you know, understanding when to get the tough yards we saw him really take strides as a pass catcher Dude, I pass thought. catching has been um, such a triumph for him this year like it looked like yeah. he fought the ball a lot of last year he still doesn't look like he's fully comfortable doing it but like it, it's such a, a bigger threat and a part of his game now and that's that's super exciting moving forward yeah yeah it, it's it's a huge it's a huge boon to their offense if they can count on both those guys to catch the ball consistently so yeah, it was, it was I, I don't know that I could pick one over the other. It was very fun to see every really everyone involved with the offense find success on Sat on Friday, excuse me. Like watching every so I'm gonna go through the numbers right now, Nick. Do you happen to know who led the team in receptions? In receptions, uh was it Cephas? It was not. He was second with three. Okay. Number one was Theo, who had four catches. You look at guys who caught passes in this game. Singleton, Amari Evans, Theo Johnson, Dante Cephas, Keandre Lambert-Smith, first overall pick Tyler Warren, Katron Allen, Khalil Dinkins, Trey Potts, and Malik Mega. That's what this offense had to be all season long. I get a lot of that is because this was a blowout and Penn State was able to rotate a lot of guys. But this had to be a receiving core by committee all season long. And for two long stretches, it just wasn't that. To watch Amari Evans get an opportunity to make a couple plays. To watch Singleton get the ball on the outside. To watch the middle of the field open up for Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren are exactly the principles that Mike Yurcich needed to have in place from the jump. And Penn State is probably 11-1 and in the top four in the college football playoff rankings if that happens. It didn't. That's not what happened. So now we have to shift our focus to looking for things in this game that are exciting for the bowl game, wherever they end up, and for Aller and company moving forward under whoever is the next OC. I still think there's going to be a lot of turnover among the Penn State pass catchers, but this was about as good of a performance from them as you can ask for. Yeah, and it's a good... You know, it's it, it's a good recruiting tool for the portal. It's kind of a glimpse into like, you know, here's what we can be. Mm-hmm. Like there, there is exp- explosivity. I don't know if that's a real word. Also, um, also like the leading guy had four catches. It also shows like, hey, if you come here, yeah. you're going to get an opportunity to get the ball in your hand. There's no alpha in this group yet. Yeah, and it you know it it's I would guess that Keandre Lambert Smith probably does leave, and even still, he had what one catch in the last like three weeks. <laughs> so it's not like he's been a huge part of the offense for the last you know last couple of weeks anyway. There's absolutely opportunities for guys to come in through the portal, or for young guys to step up and make strides this off season, um, or even incoming freshmen, you know, to really make a mark in this room and have a role right away. Um, so yeah, it, this was. For as disappointing as a season as it was offensively, this was a fantastic way to go out, and they st- obviously still have one more chance to do a few more fun things offensively in the bowl game. So the bowl game is coming, and Nick, do you know what you could be wearing in the stands for that bowl game, wherever it may be? Hopefully, in New Year Six. You know what? As as long as uh, as long as I 
have the gear from this website that would suit the weather for where this game possibly would be. I bet mm. you could wear some home field apparel stuff. I bet you could, especially if it's indoor. Uh, wink, wink, please go to the Peach Bowl. Atlanta's a really fun town. I want to go to the Peach Bowl. But we'll talk about that later. For now, it is the Home Field Apparel ad read. That's right. Home Field Apparel has been our podcast sponsor for over a year by now, and they make some of the coolest college apparel out there in the marketplace today. Underneath my Penn State sweatshirt right now, I'm wearing a UConn Sad Jonathan shirt because I saw UConn's like highest ranked quarterback recruit ever is transferring out today. So in honor of that, I wore Sad Jonathan. But they don't just have Penn State. They don't just have UConn. They have pretty much any school under the sun. The holidays are getting really close. Christmas is right around the corner. If you're going to get somebody you love college apparel, make sure it is from Home Field Apparel. And our listeners can get 15% off their first order with promo code RLR23. Crewnecks, hoodies, joggers, t-shirts. Again, not just Penn State, all kinds of different schools. And again, that is 15% off your first order with promo code RLR23. Thank you, Hopefully, for sponsoring this podcast. And Nick. Now, hold on. Now I'm thinking of an apparel site that does only sell Penn State and UConn stuff. <laughs> what does that look like? <laughs> it's, it's out of business. It's out of business by the time we finish this sentence. It's called it, it's called Cats and Dogs. Okay. That's that's for starters. Okay, that's pretty good. Is there a Penn State UConn? Oh, there's Taquan Roberson. I was about to say, is there a Penn State UConn connection? Football-wise or basketball? Yeah, I guess just Roberson. Is that where... Did, did Marquise Wilson end up at UConn, too? He ended up at Purdue. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys ended up at UMass. Tyler Rudolph ended up at UMass. A lot of guys ended up yes. like in that um, like I mean, New Penn England. Penn State recruits a lot of guys out of New England. That That's true. There was a potential OC candidate who I believe was born in Connecticut. Uh, wink, wink, nudge, mm-hmm. nudge. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it as well. A lot of bridge crossings today. It's been a while since we potted. <laughs> a lot to talk about. But Nick. We didn't talk about the offense too much because there's really not much we can say. There's not much we can take away, I think, from that game that can be applied moving forward because I think we're about to see a lot of really big wholesale changes. One area where I think we can take a lot away from and frankly deserves at least 10 minutes of us fawning over them is the Penn State defense. They pitched another shutout on Friday night on a short week in an environment, let's face it, Bad weather favors defenses. This was in a dome. Like, there's no reason an offense shouldn't be able to do everything they want to do when there is this controlled environment. And the Penn State defense did what they have done time and time again and absolutely feasted on this Michigan State offense. Yeah, you know, Penn State's defense, and I'm going to go big picture out here for a second. Penn State's defense did not allow more than 24 points in a game this year. That's wild. That's crazy. That's and, you know, they they allowed twenty four to Michigan, twenty four in Indiana, and that was kind of a you know weird that's, week. That's after objectively Ohio State. hilarious. I'll be honest. That's so yeah. Funny. Twenty to Ohio State, and then aside from that, West Virginia fifteen, Delaware seven, Illinois thirteen, Iowa zero, Northwestern thirteen. Also, shout out Northwestern. Very earnestly, we make fun of Northwestern a lot on this podcast. The fact that they that that team was able to you know, gel together enough to go seven and five is a really massive Dude, that's a triumph. That Kudos. might be the best that might be the best coaching job in college football this year. Yeah. That that is that deserves a ton of praise. Um awesome for them. Uh zero also, to UMass. Real quick, Nick, you're Sorry, just reading God. you're just reading these off and all I'm thinking of, oh my God, these are just all awful offenses. What a perfect storm of a season. I know. I know. Maryland 15, Michigan 24, Rutgers 6, Michigan State 0. Just like, yeah, these were bad defenses or bad offense that they faced, but this Penn State defense was just suffocating. Like I was I was talking to some friends, um, uh, most actually most of which who were Huskies fans, Washington Husky fans, so we'll see them next year. Um, but they were, you know, the question was brought up like, oh, what's the best part of this Penn State defense? I honestly couldn't pick. Like I, I think it's a defensive I, line. Probably the pass rush. Yeah, but like the it's I I I'm not sure that I can say they're notably better than the secondary or notably better than the, the safeties especially. Like, yeah, like and it's 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 such an absurdly absurdly good defense, 
And it's going to be a bummer to see a lot of those guys out the door. But the crazy thing is, like, they might not be worse next year. I mean, that that bar has been set so high. Like, it's it's a yeah. near impossible to be number one in total defense. And the competition years. will be better next year. Oh, for sure. I mean, Iowa's gone. Illinois's gone. Northwestern's gone. I think Rutgers is gone. Like, that's not a lot of... A lot of layups are coming off the schedule, but still, yeah. the secondary, I think, was where we should start because that's where the first really big play came from in Detroit native, back in his hometown, Jalen Reed, getting a pretty impressive diving interception, I believe his second on the season. Nick, I've often said I feel like I overlooked Jalen Reed maybe more than any other player on this defense, but him and KJ Winston played two of the more impressive games that I think I've seen a safety duo play for Penn State in a long time. KJ Winston is everywhere. That dude is going to be an animal. That dude's going to be an animal next year. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I adore, I, if you'll remember, I picked Jalen Reed to be a first team all Big Ten selection um, at the at the beginning of the season. He, I believe he picked up an honorable mention nod. I don't think that's enough. I think Dude, he was so did Curtis that, Jacobs. But... That's wild that CJ o- yeah. only got honorable mention. That's like atrocious. Yeah. I mean, as always, like it, who cares? Because of why, like, why should we, it's it, those, that voting is often so wonky, but like right. those guys deserve more than that, but whatever. Um, yeah. Jalen Reed, I, I have so much fun watching Jalen Reed play football and, that combination of he and KJ Winston, um, not even to mention guys like Zaki Wheelie. I'm sorry, my dog is currently screaming because I think some something's getting delivered to my front door. Um, that you know, even just that trio alone, not even considering what else is going to happen, you know, which guys are going to take strides in that room going forward, like that is such a well set up room. Like this is the best duo easily. And I, this is probably the best, like you said, the best played game from a safety duo for Penn State since the Brisker and Tig Brown uh, years, a couple couple years ago, I guess that was. And um, like the corners delivered too. I think, um, oh my goodness, he's his, Cam Miller had a sack. Johnny Dixon had half a sack. You know, these guys are out there. Kalen King back in Detroit played a pretty good game. Daquan Hardy has been a revelation all season long, yeah. I think. This secondary unit as a whole, you know, you're going to lose Keaton Ellis. You're going to lose probably Kalen King. You're going to lose Johnny Dixon. You're probably going to lose Daquan Hardy, which is a bummer. But you look at these young guys behind them, especially Cam Miller and especially KJ Winston. And you, I get, Nick, you have said this forever as a fan of the Seahawks in the early 2010s with like the Legion of Boom and what mm-hmm. a truly dominant secondary can do for a defense. To watch Terry Smith and Anthony Poindexter go out there and completely shut down the Michigan State passing attack. Not that that's anything to you know write home about, but still, that is just such a humongous step from where those positions were when those guys first got here. Yeah, it's we are very much to the point. Like I just remember, uh, you know, even what three years ago, four years ago, maybe we would, you know, every year we'd get on here for preseason previews and we'd talk about, you know, this is a really talented corner room. It would just just imagine how much more fun things would be if they had a true, like, lockdown corner and how much it would unlock what all these other athletes are able to do on the defense. And now we've had multiple years in a row of having yeah. two, at least, true lockdown cornerbacks. And you see the effect it has. Like, it is... Oh, my God. It yeah. is the single best thing you can do for your defense. Like, that is the... I'm not going to say that like a, a a really really fantastic corner is the most important player for a defense because I think having like a true standout um, defensive tackle is probably the most impactful single position. Agreed. Just because of how often they're around the ball and how but, rare they are to find. Yeah, yeah. Like you go, you don't find guys like Johnny Newton just anywhere. Um, also, well but, deserved. Was he the? I think it was the Big Ten uh, defensive like lineman of the year. Incredibly I well deserved. So that guy's yeah. a, that guy's yeah, an animal. Absolutely well deserved. Yeah, he's he should. I he might not be just because of how the board's going to fall, but he should be a top ten pick in the oh NFL draft. Oh my god! He's, yeah, he's so good. Um, but I think even though I think having a great defensive tackle, that's the most valuable player on the defense you can have. Having a true like lockdown corner 
opens up so many things for you because you can have your, you know, safeties help out the help out other guys on the defense. Instead, you can have them be more creative and get up in the box. Like how many times do we see KJ Winston making tackles at or near the line of scrimmage? Like he has so much freedom to flow around the entire field. Can I give a hot take? Yes. He's a better version of Marcus Allen, like better against the pass. Hmm. That's a hot take. I know it is, but better see, I, version of Marcus, Marcus Allen. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Marcus Allen was a linebacker. Like, let's call it how it is. Nobody gets that that's many tackles playing that position the way he did. He was a safety in name only. KJ Winston yeah. does it all. Winston's a better. He's a better safety. Like he he mm-hmm. has more of the safety skills for sure. Um, but yeah, like he he can he can do all those things that Marcus Allen. He's probably not. He's not as hard of a hitter like Marcus Allen. He's a better tackler overall. Yes. But, um, not as hard of a hitter as Marcus Allen was. Oh, for sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's a jive with that. I like that. Linebackers, Abdul Carter, two sacks. Really. I think his best game of the year, Kobe King got pretty impressive. All big 10 honors. I think a lot of that is because he was the leading tackler on the best defense in the big 10. I don't necessarily know if he deserved the honors he got over a guy like Curtis Jacobs, but Kobe King, I think, put together a really solid game. And Curtis Jacobs, as he always does, flying around, creating havoc. And one guy I want to call out, because he, he doesn't play a lot, but every time he gets in, I find myself becoming more excited to watch his role grow. And that's Keon Wiley. Manny Diaz brought pressure late in the game to let those guys who have grinded all season long on the scout team make a play in prime time. And Keon Wiley blew up a play behind the line of scrimmage and got a sack before the quarterback even had a shot. The linebacker room, I think, played its most complete game of the year. This week, no one really got lost in the sauce. Nobody really got exposed. Everybody was really gap sound. And I think with a with Abdul Carter coming back, with uh, Keon Wiley coming back, Kobe Kim coming back, this is a unit that I think is going to be the true strength of the defense moving forward and you didn't even mention tony rojas <laughs> there and that I did not well tony rojas didn't make like the splash plays like he did against uh was it what, who do you have two picks maryland he had a pick i want to say or was that mm-hmm. rutger he had a forced fumble and a pick against maryland yeah yeah that makes sense yeah tony rojas yeah. in there too i totally forgot about him yeah it's uh obviously Losing Curtis Jacobs, I'm really fascinated to see too, like how high Jacobs goes in the draft because he, I mean, he's not the biggest dude, but he's very well suited for the current NFL because you that, need guys that's the that big can thing. move. Yeah. yeah, you need guys that can move like he can. Um, I do skills. wonder if in the NFL he rushes the passer a bit more. Then he did not that he did it a lot at Penn State. I'm not going to say he didn't, but I wonder mm-hmm. if he if that ticks up a bit in the NFL. Um, but I think like if he if he tests well, which he will, mm-hmm. he could you know very easily sneak into the bottom of round one. I think you know it's, really I think he's high date two. Teams need linebackers. Like if he if he tests off the charts and you know again depending on how the board falls, like the whole the way that quarterbacks are handled in this draft is going to be mm-hmm. really interesting. It's going to affect a lot of other things, obviously, mm-hmm. like. Whether whether Penix and um, you know McCarthy Penix goes in the first round, stuff like that. Yeah, whether, there's a lot of fringe. Viewers... I feel like I feel like this is going to be the draft, Nick. We're going to look back at. Welcome to our NFL portion of the podcast. <laughs> this is going to be the draft we look back on. We're going to be like, huh? Really, really? JJ McCarthy at 16. Okay, I think that's what we're going to oh, be. God, yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, but yeah, I, I think if he does, if he tests well, I think he could very easily at least be in that discussion for late round one, early day two. Um, but yeah, he's he's an unbelievable football player. He's been you know relatively under the radar for pretty much his entire Penn State career because mm-hmm. you know first he was the the other guy with Micah Parsons around there, um, and then he was you know he was the dude for a quick second. And then Abdul Carter came out and he became the flash names wearing the 11 and Jacobs, you know, did what he's very comfortable with. He just kind of like slid into the background and continued causing havoc every single play. He's yeah, such he, a good football player. Yeah. Him just coming in, we overlapping or like, I guess they never really played together because Carter opted out. To, I'm not sorry. Uh, Micah opted out of 2020. Jacobs got there yeah. in 2020. He was a true freshman on a team in a pandemic. Didn't matter. Yeah. 2021 still had a lot of Brandon Smith hype, uh, who's now on the Eagles practice squad. 
Uh, and I that's think that, what, that's that, what I was thinking. Not, yeah, not Micah, Brandon that, Smith. That's what a big thinking. thing. And then Abdul emerged. So Jacobs has really, I think real football people understand what Curtis Jacobs means to that defense. And I'm excited to see where his career takes him. And speaking of guys who I think played their way into a much higher draft position this season, Adisa Isaac, man, five tackles on the day, one sack, part of a dominant defensive line performance. I thought Chop played really well. I thought tonight Dennis Sutton got involved. I really believe this defensive tackle group was way better than I expected it to be. And a lot of that was the development of Zane Durant, who started again this week. Devon Ellis played well. Hakeem Beeman does what he does. Nick, this Penn State defensive line under Deion Barnes, I think exceeded expectations all season long. And I think the Michigan State game in a vacuum was what the highest level of the Penn State defensive line in 2023 could have possibly looked like. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I, this was, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, this this unit was unbelievable from the jump. Like, the way that Adisa Isaac was, you know, obviously he played last year, but the way he was able to, um, you know, show his explosiveness this mm-hmm. season in a way that he hadn't been able to, and you know, prove that he still had that in his repertoire was awesome to see because mm-hmm. that is an NFL guy that was not getting the NFL hype that he deserved coming into this season, and he's absolutely he's getting, it, getting now. it now. He's a bit leaner, I think, than most NFL teams would want from an edge rusher. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that's a solvable problem. Oh, like, yeah. I think he's gonna be, you know, he's gonna find a home in the NFL for quite a long time. Obviously, chop unbelievable season very well could be a top 10 pick you know if things fall the way he does i am you know i'm sure penn state will try to secure as big of an nil bag for him as they can to try to convince him to maybe come back the ultimate bag no matter which way he goes yeah i mean i feel pretty confident saying he's gone especially in his post-game comments he was speaking about penn state in the past 10 so i i don't want to read too much into that but it is a thing get your money kid Um, get your money yeah, absolutely. He's he's a first round pick through and through. Go get it, especially mm-hmm. because Penn State's going to be just fine at defensive end because Deny Dennis Sutton is a monster. Yeah, and Jamil Lyons, Amin Vanover, like they're yeah. they're gonna be. I fine. would expect them to get get at least one transfer guy at defensive end as well. Oh my god, like, yeah. I mean, look what this is AK an, did just two years ago. Yeah, yeah. This is an unbelievable, unbelievably attractive uh, edge rusher spot for transfer portal guys, especially knowing that Deny Dennis Sutton is here and you don't have to do it all by yourself if you come in here. Like you you can, you know, you can come to Penn State, get the grasp on the playbook that you can get in that time and just tee off on on quarterback. So great spot for a portal guy, I think, too. So yeah, unbelievable season. Like you said, Zane Durant, fantastic. Was a lot. I expected him to have a good year. I didn't expect him to be that good. I thought he was outstanding, especially with the way he was able to hold up against the run, too. Dude, he figured um, out how to play awesome. at his weight. We got to yeah. watch that happen in real time, which is super rare to watch it happen during an actual season. We got to watch him figure it out, which was really cool to see. He became and surpassed what ah. we ex- have expected from Hakeem Beam in the ah. last few years. Agreed. Which is it, awesome. It kills me to say, but agreed. Um, <laughs> Nick, you said something a couple of minutes ago that whoever comes into Penn State at defensive end position can take their time learning the playbook. I I don't know how we want to handle this, but I think it would be it wouldn't be wise of us to not talk about Manny Diaz and his mm-hmm. future with Penn State. He's been here two years. Two years as a coordinator has kind of been the max for a lot of high-level coordinators who want to become head coaches. I think Manny Diaz can wait for the right job. But with that being said, the right job may be Duke. He coached in North Carolina before. I think they're definitely going to give him a call. So, Nick, how does Penn State keep Manny? Oh, I guess, first of all, can they keep Manny Diaz? And how do they keep Manny Diaz? So, I mean, in terms of 
you know, right. can you continue find to continue to find ways to incentivize his contract? Yeah, obviously you can, you know, they might be close to or near the top end of what they can, you know, reasonably pay him, mm-hmm. but you can, you can get more, more hours with the private jet, all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Like there's plenty of ways you can incentivize it to make it a more attractive position every year. Do you think he and, shovels you know, by his all own sidewalk? <laughs> uh, I would say no, but really, I wonder, interesting. Uh, uh, well, no, no, he's from Florida. Yeah, I know that's what that's that. what made me ask the question. Do you think he shovels it himself? Like, how maybe, do you think maybe he, he did that? it once. He did it mm. once just for the novelty, and then realized why we all hate it. Maybe. Mm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I also don't know. I don't. If know I still had if... a press pass, that'd be the first question I asked him, which is why <laughs> I don't have a press pass anymore. I'm sure. I don't know if he has kids. Maybe he needs chores done too. So mm. maybe that that's maybe a good that one. gets done that way. Hmm. Um. Anyway, continue. <laughs> So, like in in terms of can you make it a job worth keeping for him? Yeah, absolutely. It's There's a great job. Totally I mean, he's clearly the head coach of the defense. Like, do you want to deal yeah. with boosters all the time, or do you want to coach Abdul Carter? I I do think you know from everything that we know about Manny Diaz, I do absolutely believe that he badly wants to be a head coach again. Like, I don't mm-hmm. I don't think this is a coordinator for life guy. No. Um, few and, guys you know, are in that regard. Yeah, very few are. It's. Like in that regard, like I, I, I would love for Manny Diaz to get a head coaching job. He absolutely deserves it. I, you know, as much as I love what he's done for the Penn State defense, I'm not worried about Franklin being able to find another top tier defensive coordinator. Every like, there are very few guys who would be defensive coordinator candidates that wouldn't look at Penn State and be absolutely giddy to have the opportunity to work with the talent they have back there. Yeah. Um. So I'm not worried about that. What I am worried about is making sure that that job remains attractive, even if, you know, for some reason one year that there is a slight talent downturn. And the way you do that is by putting coordinators and coaches into head coach jobs. Like you, you show other guys that you can come do this, do your thing, and you will be an attractive candidate for somebody else. Because, you know, most of the guys coaching in college football have head coaching aspirations. So, oh, for um, sure. If they lose Manny, like I'd, I'd be bummed. Like I'd, have absolutely loved having him in Happy Valley, um, but I'd be very happy for him, and I would be fully confident they'd be able to replace him, even if it's you know maybe not someone quite as good as what he's done. I think you know, even if they bring in someone new, I think Franklin has enough to point to now to be like, hey, I know you're new. I have I know you have your own systems. I want you to put your own spin on it. But here's what we've been doing: like these overly aggressive blitzes, these standing mm-hmm. up nine guys on the line on third down, like these things have been really successful. So maybe let's find a way to keep incorporating that kind of thing. So I don't think I'd be as yeah. afraid if like a job like Duke didn't feel so perfect for the Manny D has reclamation. It is very perfect. Yeah. That's like, it, it's a guy, they're going from Mike Elko, a defensive minded head coach. So that administration is comfortable going that route. Duke's an ACC job. DS has coached in the ACC. It has realistic expectations. Like, I liken it to the way Virginia Tech understood what Pry had to be and what they had to do to build Pry up. In the same vein, I think it's fair to say Pry definitely had group of five head coaching offers before he took Virginia Tech. Like, I think we can say Buffalo probably yeah. called at one point. I think we can say Louisiana Monroe called at one point. Those reports we wrote about when we were a written medium. I do wonder if Diaz has a short list of jobs that he understands he can take to the next level. And I do wonder if Duke is on that list. And that's what gives me optimism that he could stay in that pry waited it out until that perfect opportunity. He got it in Virginia Tech. And now in year two, he's going bowling. Like that's a feat for Brent Pry to build it up the way he wanted to do it. And that's the appealing part to me with Manny is that I definitely think he can be very successful at Duke, but is the Duke head coach good enough to take on all the head coach pressure again when you can go into the 12-team playoff with the defense fully installed as perfectly as you can imagine? That's the one kind of pushback I'll go with there. The 12-team playoff is the big wild card in all of this because I I continue to believe there's going to be a lot more coaching movement this offseason. Maybe not so much head coaches, but a lot of coordinator movement this offseason than people probably expect just because the whole landscape's about to change. Mm -hmm. People are going to want to try to get their ducks in a row for the new playoff, all that stuff. 
Um, it, I mean, it's a worthwhile question, especially because going to Duke next year, like Riley Leonard's going to be gone. He's not mm-hmm. coming back to Duke. He's going to go in the portal, go somewhere else. So you're, I mean, it's it's obvious it's not a clean restart, but it's going to be a step back. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously they don't have the same defensive talent that Penn State has, all that stuff. And the point about you know getting the chance to like being being Penn State in 2024, your opening day chances of getting into the playoff are probably 75 percent or I would say it's like over you're 50%. in a great spot. The expectation yeah, is to a, make the playoff next year. Yeah, so if he, you know, wants that under his belt to say, you know, here's how mm-hmm. my defense performed against the top teams in the sport in the playoff, you know, mm-hmm. sure, that's that's a great selling point for yourself as well. And maybe by next year, you know, and, you know, maybe after a mm-hmm. year of the college football playoff, maybe we see even more coaching carousel chaos because now teams are like, oh, okay, so all we have to do is do X, Y, and Z and we can make this 12, we can make the dance here and we can we can make a move. So maybe that opens up actually more jobs. Um, but I I don't know. Like right now, it's, I, I don't know that I would say, I don't know that I could comfortably say I think he's gone just because like Duke is kind of the only job that I would really say makes sense that's open at the moment. And it's hard to really, it's hard to predict him when obviously Duke has a you know plenty of candidates available to them, oh, so Duke's an attractive job for sure for an up and coming coach. Yeah, so it's tough to say that I think he's definitely gone. I I would feel still feel more yeah. comfortable saying that I think he gets a head coach job somewhere this offseason, then comes back just in the grand scheme. Sixty forty. What's your split there? I'm like sixty. Yeah, I'm I'd, like fifty five forty. Maybe sixty five thirty five. Yeah, yeah. Um, but ni- neither way, neither way would surprise me, obviously, given those odds, not nothing would surprise me there. So, um, I, I think it's very much on the table for him to return. And I do wonder if, you know, maybe part of him wants to see where Franklin goes with offensive coordinator. Like if, if it's somebody that Manny Diaz believes in that can help take that team to the next level, then maybe that entices him to actually stay at least one extra year and see what they can do together. So a lot so of let's, factors. Let's talk about that, Nick. Uh, I am kind of bummed. I was really hoping that we would have news to break while we were recording. Uh, you and I do not have, are not privy to any information right now about which way this is going to go. But Nick, I would be stunned if we did not return to our listeners' feed by the end of the week regarding an offensive coordinator. Yeah, I would fully expect the portal. The I would portal fully officially opens on Monday next week. Yeah, I, I would fully expect them to. I would fully expect Franklin to try to make a hire by Friday. Um, we'll, you know, that we've seen plenty of speculation of names tossed around. Um, you know, we've seen. You know, we won't get too deep in it, but I know the hot name today is uh, Andy Kotelnicki. Is that how you say Kotelnicki? I thought Kodelnicki? it was. Yeah, I believe it's Kotelnicki. Kotelnicki, whatever it is. I know we've seen him today. A couple of guys reporting that Franklin. Uh, some people said he was in Kansas talking to him. Some people said it. That's been tweeted. Happened, pub- that's, that's been on Twitter. There. That's been on X publicly now, Nick. So I think we can talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. It was. It was. There would seem to be some confusion about whether an in-person meeting actually happened or not. Uh-huh. Um, which you know, but it it does seem like there was a plane from State College in Kansas today. So <laughs> who knows? Um, that I mean, that would be a really interesting hire, I think, because he, you know, Kotelnicki's done great things wherever he's been mm-hmm. with there's different the natural question yeah there's the natural question of like is will he find that same success away from lance leipold you know legitimate question fair mm-hmm. to ask but mm-hmm. um, it's like what your course, was with gundy yeah I, I think it's a bit different than that because i think we feel pretty confident that um kind of like he calls AK the plays called plays yeah, <laughs> yeah. whereas your it was no, I don't. I'm not sure Yurcich ever really had that role before mm-hmm. Penn State, mm-hmm. um, despite holding the off, off, offensive coordinator title a couple places. But um, that'd be, you know, that'd be a fun hire. Obviously, Joe Moorhead's still sitting out there, very much an option for Penn State. Um, you know, who knows who else pops up in these next couple of days? Here, we'll see. But I, I expect them to make a hire by the end of the week. I agree with that. Yeah. So I think uh, I think we're trendy. And Nick, I hear you have. Is that true? You told me we had some questions. Uh, from the listenership regarding a couple of things? I do. We have some questions that people submitted on Spotify. Once again, thank you to everybody okay. uh, for doing that. It's, you know, it's awesome to hear and see kind of what you all are thinking. So please, please, please keep sending them. Uh, first one, let's go here from our favorite question asker, 
favorite question asker, Christopher Wilman Bunge, asks asks a question pretty much on every. Is he podcast your favorite question asker? I think so. I mean he's the most consistent for sure. Mm, okay, he's my favorite now. Like not even close. Not um, a sponsor, so but he this could one. Be. <laughs> this one came Sp- in. Joke. I believe I believe this is ahead of the Rutgers game actually. Um, Firing Yursic only fixes a fraction of the problem Penn State's offense has had. Even though it's an expanded CFP format starting next year, what do you think needs to happen next in order to not fail? So the way I'm reading this question is basically like, mm. what does Penn State need to look for in both an offensive coordinator and then what changes kind of need to be made wholesale in order to not you know fumble the bag that is a relatively secure college football playoff spot if they're able to do what they're supposed to do this is a tough one because i i don't i don't agree with it i don't agree with the premise of it i don't think it was like your sitch is gone and i don't think the problems are going to persist and the michigan state game is my proof of concept there your was gone and they fired on all cylinders but the counter argument to that is we know Penn State can beat Michigan State. Show me they can beat Ohio State and Michigan. So there, there's also that element of it. I guess broadly what we need for Penn State to overcome its shortcomings is that, Nick, the offensive line, would you give it a C plus, B minus? What are you giving it this year? Uh, I guess I'd go B. B. Uh, man, I, I might give them a B. Just because I Caden Wallace, I thought played pretty well mm-hmm. overall on the mm-hmm. right side. Obviously, uh, Olu Fashnu was amazing, fantastic, one of the best left tackles the program's ever had. Mm-hmm. Um, Norzad played and well. It's just, yeah, Norzad played. I, Norzad played fine. Fine. I yeah, wasn't overly fine. impressed. I expected more. Mm-hmm. Um, Sal Wormley remains fine. Like, I, I, he does good things and mm-hmm. he has some tough moments. Veguane had a bit of a sophomore slump. Um, and then obviously losing, yeah, obviously losing Landon Tengwell before the season hurt JB Nelson in and out of the lineup with injury. So, um, I feel, I feel fine giving them a B. Like, I I don't think the offensive line was the major issue against Ohio State or Michigan. So, I I mean, then that's my next point. So, first of all, I think you need the Penn State offensive line to go for, and I'm going to rank this in terms of how realistic I think it is to fix in one offseason. I think you can take the offensive line from the B minus B to the A- minus range this offseason. It's going to be year, I guess it's year five already, under Phil Troutwine, which is wild. Year four of is like- it really? And, and it's wow. kind of 2020, oh, 2020 doesn't count, so it's year five in name. I think it's actually year four, just because of how 2020 went, whatever. Still, very long time to be in that role. And I think this has to be the year where they become an A- minus unit. And I think that's realistic. The other thing is they need playmakers in the wide receiver room. I think that's going to be a big position of turnover is, I think, the nice way to put it this upcoming offseason. And they need to find guys, and the guys who stick around need to develop and take it as seriously as they can to become the kind of weapons that you need to win in modern college football. And I don't know how likely that is, but the receivers need to go from a D to a B minus just as much as the Penn State offensive line needs to go from like a B, B minus to an A minus. Yeah, I I think the improvement from the wide, I would rank the improvement needed from the wide receiver room ahead of the improvement needed from the offensive oh, line. Because I agree, think you but can how get realistic away with... is that though? Like that's the thing. Like, right. Yeah, that's the tough part here. Like, I mean, it, it could be very well realistic depending on the transfer portal, honestly. Like, it it could happen really quickly if you bring in a couple of guys that click with Drew Aller right away. So He went 0 for 2, I, though, like, theoretically, this past year. That's the thing that worries me. I get Hagens is a new guy now yes, from, the, from the jump. Yes, but, I mean, they were all, like, Malik McLean was never expected to really do anything right. this year. Um, I mean, they probably senior, got more from him than they already expected. next year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Cephas, you know, had the obvious caveat of he barely had any offseason time, which is obviously going to be a huge crutch for a guy going from G5 to P5. So he didn't know the um, playbook. He didn't know the playbook <laughs> at all. Um, so I neither did your yeah, in certain I, games. Oh, goodness. Um, I, I do. I do think they're going to land at least one big name um, transfer portal guy at wide receiver okay. this offseason. I think that. 
their like Penn State's wide receiver struggles were well known. And I think that guys that are looking for a place to play would be very well of that, very aware of that and see the opportunity there. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, I continue to really like Marcus Haggins. And I think that he is a very personable, likable guy that guys are going to want to play for. So I think that plays a role as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the offensive line, you know, I, I'm not sure if I necessarily agree that the jump from B to A minus next year is going to be easier just because losing losing Olu Fashion is such a massive blow. Like I really like Drew Shelton. That's a good point. I I really like Drew Shelton. I think he has a bright future as left tackle, and maybe maybe he's great next year. He very well could be. Um, And maybe they can convince Caden Wallace to return for another season with a nice NIL bag. Maybe the interior of the line takes a step forward. Maybe we see a guy like Alex Birchmeyer really step into his own this off season and step up and get ready to take a starting job. Like one of the, one of, if not the most highly touted interior offensive lineman they've recruited in a Dude, long it's, time. In hindsight, it's wild that Donko Birchmeyer and Javon Williams all kept their red shirt. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah, that's a really, really talented trio of guys that could, you know, they could very much start popping up in the rotation as soon as next year. So as soon as the bowl game, I could, I could absolutely see the line getting better. I just, I struggle to sit here right now and say that it will be when you're losing fashion. Yeah. It's a good point. Good call. Um, okay. Next question. Also from Christopher and, uh, Noah Fleck also asked a very similar question, so we'll pair them together. Um, Christopher says, if Penn State wins out and goes 10-2 and again, which they did, which team would you like to face, um, or if we played them in a bowl game before, a rematch against in a bowl game this year, and what message would a win or loss to said team say about 2024? And then Noah said, who would you like to see Penn State face in a bowl game this season? I think for me, number one priority is not so much who they face. I just want to see Penn State play in a new New Year. Well, I guess number one, I want to see them play in a New Year's Six game, which you know re- probably requires the favorites to win more or not than uh, this upcoming weekend. I'd like to see them play in a new New Year's Six game, though. So I'd like to see the Peach Bowl. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on that. Love Atlanta, great town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, who do you want? Who but do you after see them that, play? as far as as far as opponent. Like, let's see. What what are the times for the Peach Bowl? If you say Tulane, I'm gonna scream. I'm gonna no, scream. no, no, no. I'm gonna I, scream I, at I you do, if you say Tulane. We already we already played Memphis in the Cotton Bowl. We you don't we put gain, in our time against the G five winner from playing the great like a good G five team. You can only lose like status yeah. and clout. I know Penn why State, I play. Penn State put in their time against the G five winner. They shouldn't have to do that again just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you know the Peach Bowl tie-ins though? I mean, the, it's it's like, I think it's at large and then either high G5 or highest non-playoff SEC team. Okay. I want to okay. say. So I would. Or second highest. I mean, I Ole would, Miss is the big one I'm seeing there. I mean, I would be interested in Alabama. I would love to see Penn State play Alabama. I think that would be such a fascinating game. And like, if Penn yeah. State's ever going to claim to like beat Bama, like, listen, bowl games aren't what they used to, like. Both of these teams, Penn State and Alabama, came into this year with higher expectations than what they hit. So it's either going to be a lot of opt-outs or two very angry teams and a banger of a game. I think Ole Miss is more realistic, and I think that would just be a really fun matchup. Yeah, I'd I'd be fine with that as well. Um, In the event that they don't, in the event that they lose to Oregon and they don't make the playoff, I would not mind seeing this Penn State team play this Washington team. But we're going to um, play them next year. That's the thing. The The downside is they're going to play them next year. They also played them in the Fiesta Bowl in 2017. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think the bowl committees would probably shy away from that option for that reason. But this is a really fun Washington offense and an insanely good Penn State defense. I think just that matchup would be really, really fun. Of course, who knows how many of the Washington guys would play. Like, Penix, of course, has been on borrowed time as far as injury is concerned for go for two years now that <laughs> he hasn't true. gotten injured. So, man, I, you know, he might take that opportunity to save himself a game. Same with Romo Dunze and uh, Jalen Polk and Jalen Especially, McMillan, I, don't, all those I don't have to play this Penn State defense if I don't have to. I'm, I'm, I'm not playing that game. Yeah. So, you know, so maybe that hope is, uh, you know, far-fetched anyway because it probably wouldn't end up being quite the same matchup so mm-hmm. I, i'd be really interested in Ole Miss or alabama i i don't want tulane 
Um, but I mean, I, honestly, any, honestly, any of the teams in the top twelve right now, like I, I would enjoy Mizzou. playing pretty much any of them. I think Mizzou would be interesting. Yeah, yeah, Mizzou would be interesting. I that feels like the Kentucky game a couple years back, where like it was like people they weren't that excited about it, but I think that would be actually a pretty big banger of a game. Yeah, 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 and I, I would ex. The only downside in that scenario, I feel like it's even though Mizzou was really good this year, I don't think it's the type of game that would convince guys on the fence about playing to play in on the Penn mm-hmm. State side. Fair. So if you play Bam from that playing. regard. And not, not that I, I I'm not trying to say like I want to play in the game that as most as many Penn Staters will stay and play in as possible. No, no, no. If you don't want to play in the game, please. Don't play. Go get ready for the NFL. I will always have that stance. Bowl games for me um, have shifted to like it's now like the seniors have a one last shot to go out there and play if they want to, and then it's like a fun look ahead to next year. Like coaches never stick yeah. around for the bowl games anyway, too. Like I think that's a better way to yeah. look at it. Yeah, very much so. Um, so yeah, I honestly there's not really any I like if, if they play in a bowl game they've been in before, so be it. It's like it's not a bad thing to be in a New Year's Six bowl, even if you've been in it before. So, really, as as long as they're New Year's Six, I'll be happy. If they do, if they get bumped out of a New Year's Six game because for some reason Iowa beats Michigan three nothing, or because Louisville, It'd be well, funny if I, Michigan uh, lost that game with Harbaugh back on the sideline. <laughs> I was just like, maybe the Louisville FSU one doesn't matter anyway because if my heart can't Louisville, handle playing uh, Jeff Brom again. <laughs> I you know I guess it maybe it would matter because then because it's not like Louisville's gonna make the playoff if they win so maybe yeah maybe that does cause issues. Louisville's but... a bid stealer too for the New Year Six. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I don't know. We'll see. I don't. I, I'm cool with anything. How about you? Uh, Peach Bowl is number one for me. Again, I really like the city of Atlanta. Had a lot of fun there this summer. Um, and it'd be cool to watch Penn State win another new like New Year Six game. Like that'll be number four if they can win the Peach Bowl, and that's yep. pretty cool. Yeah. That's a very fun, very fun feather in Franklin's uh, Franklin's cap. Yeah. You know, nice reminder that, oh, yeah, he actually does know what he's doing. He is pretty good at this. That he is. And, Nick, that's that's all I got for, for today's episode of The Pot. Anything else for the folks as we send the folks into this latter half of the week? No, I think we're good. I mean, like I, like we said, we'll probably be back here within the next two days or so, about two days or so to talk about the new offense coordinator. So we'll see you then. Looking forward to that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Roar Lions Roar. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. If you're watching on YouTube, jump in the comments. Let us know your thoughts on the Penn State-Michigan State game, the offensive coordinator search, the Manny Diaz of it all. We love to interact with you guys down there. Be sure to follow us on Twitter over at RLRblog. We're also on Blue Sky for the folks on Blue Sky. I have no idea what our handle is on that front. Uh, and I will not look it I'm up. I'm not because... even on Blue Sky yet. Are you really? I have a code if you want it. Um, I, I can't bring myself to die. There's too many social media can't. accounts. Remember when Threads was yeah. a thing for five minutes? That was fun. Threads not a sponsor, but La- they could be. Under. <laughs> all right, Nick. That is all I got. Thank you so much again for listening. Uh, be sure to use promo code RLR23 for 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com. And for my co-host, Nick Polak, I'm Matt Blubovitz. Take care, everyone, and go state. Go state.